Small Business Development Center is helping brew new business. And you'll find the Wyndham County Economic Report with a skilled but aging workforce. The shutdown of Vermont Yankee and post-Irene work still to be done. Read how Wyndham County is changing, adapting, and planning for the future. Plus, don't miss our special feature, Our Voices Are Powerful, as Mary Powell shares her breast cancer journey. All this and more is in the May Vermont Business Magazine. Serious business, serious news. For a subscription, call 802-863-8038 or go to vermontbiz.com. It's time to get the story behind the story. Interviews with newsmakers, newsbreakers, and your phone calls. Radio Vermont presents The Mark Johnson Show. Thank you, Jim Condy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. It's Monday, a little late rain out there. Thanks for spending part of your morning with us. Coming up on the program this morning, if um, you were tuning in last week and heard any of our discussion talking about this challenge of figuring out who are independent contractors and who are employees. We are going to get uh, dive right back into that to begin the week. We would welcome your phone calls as well on the program. You can always reach us at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. And toll-free, you can reach us at 877-291-8255. Coming up this week, it uh, is anticipated, not guaranteed by any stretch, that this will be the last week of the Vermont legislature. So uh, we plan on uh, concluding the uh, week down on Friday down at the State House, as we have been doing throughout the course of the session. Uh, events may dictate uh, that that changes, but we'll uh, keep you apprised on what's going on with that. Coming up in the middle of the week, I'll be up in Burlington at the Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility, their annual get-together. bunch of great guests for that. Tomorrow, if you're looking for a job, Wait till you meet this character that we've had on the program before, Martin Yate. This guy is uh, just a ball of uh, fire. Great to have on the program. And, yes, he is quite adept at uh, making suggestions on you know, what sort of job you should be looking for. Maybe whether or not, if you have one right now, maybe you ought to be looking for another one. Here are the phone numbers on the program. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. And you can also reach us on our toll-free lines at 877-291-8255. Joining us here live in our studios this morning, Andy Noonan is the Commissioner of the Department of Labor and Industry. Also joining us is Steve Monahan. He is the Director of Workers' Comp and Safety Programs. Uh, within that same department. Again, let me give you the phone numbers, 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. Commissioner, let me start with you this morning. Thank you for joining us. How are Hi, you? Good morning, Mark. Thank you for having us. So last week, let's see if I can maybe boil this down. There's this uh, seems to be some great uh, dispute and great challenge out there trying to figure out whether or not people that are hired to do certain types of work should be classified as employees or as independent contractors. And this, of course, bears a huge impact on whether or not they're paid, uh, a workers' comp is covered, and whether the employer pays unemployment insurance. This, um, you know, I have to admit, last week I, I really felt like I got hit with a... Uh, kind of a cascade and a waterfall of this. But this problem, from what I learned throughout the course of the week, is is far from new. Uh, how far back does this dispute between these people and how they should be classified go? Um, well, 
I think it goes back as early as 2004 and 2005. Um, So it's not a new issue. Um, When I came on as a brand-new commissioner in January of 2011, uh, one of the first things I was hit with when I walked in the building at the State House was uh, the issue of what are we going to do about independent contractors and the the provisions in the Vermont statutes, Title 21, what are we going to do to make this, this situation better? So I started, obviously, first... Uh, went to the sources, went to the uh, business lobbyists and the business associations and to the labor unions and the labor um, labor organizations and said, what is the problem what, from your perspective? So really what we have in Vermont is we have a, a two def- we have two sections of the statute, one for workers' comp, one for unemployment, uh, defining the term employee. And the first thing you have to un- understand is that uh, the statutes basically say We'll, we're going to presume you're an employee unless you meet other tests to tell us you're not. Mm-hmm. So we have the statute to enforce. There have been study committees going back as far as 2006, 2009. And then um, one of the things I tried to do was to grab the parties together uh, in a room to see if there was any common ground to see if we could come up with a solution. So um, between May of 2011 and January of 2012, we had about 35 meetings uh, with large groups of uh, independent contractors and with the different uh, advocacy groups for both business and labor. And that included the Chamber of Commerce, Lake Champlain Chamber, AIV, AGC, Different, the home builders, different groups of, of, of uh, business people, and then we brought in together in the same room the Vermont AFL-CIO, the Teamsters, the building trades unions, uh, including carpenters and plumbers, and really basically, and some legislators, and basically sat down and said, can't we fix this situation that doesn't seem to want to go away? So really, the, you know, there, it's complicated because we have both uh, the statutory obligations to review case by case to enforce and then we basically also have the Vermont Supreme Court who has weighed in on a number of cases telling us what they think the law means. So it's really not been an easy situation. So in 2012 we brought a bill to through the Commerce Committee um, and it passed out of, which was in fact the compilation of the meetings that were, were uh, conducted by la- the Department of Labor with the business and labor community. Mm-hmm. And H-762 passed out of Commerce Committee 11 nothing, and it passed the House of uh, Representatives on a roll call vote unanimously. It then went over to the Senate, and it looked as though it had a real chance of moving forward, and two days before the session ended, an unrelated worker comp bill, worker comp issue was tacked onto it by someone, and the bill blew apart. So subsequent to that, we've had uh, really very little, op- I-, I think there's been very little um, effort made um, uh, to really get back to the table and try to get this situation resolved, despite, in some ways, our best efforts to encourage the parties back. I want to, you know, give a shout-out to Senator Mullen, who has tried to push people back to the table. Representative Botsow has tried to push people back to the table. But I think that unless business and labor come together on this issue um, and really un- uh, talk about what they do agree upon, because, in fact, it was interesting for me that during those work meetings during the uh, summer and fall of 2011, uh, there was a tremendous amount of agreement about mm-hmm. the issue. And it was really, um, it, and they, so I think there is opportunity uh, to come to a resolution on this, but it won't happen unless there is some agreement between the business and labor community, because I don't think a bill will get through um, the state house unless there's some some agreement. Mm-hmm. Steve, maybe you can help um, shed some light on this, too. So just going back here, why was this even opened up back in 2000, what Andy was saying, 2006, 2008? What was going on? 
Well, um, what, what was going on um, at that time was there were growing complaints from many companies to the legislature that they were getting underbid by companies that were not following the rules, that were treating people as independent contractors when they really weren't, their bids were lower, and the legitimate companies weren't getting the bids. There were also complaints from organized labor that people were getting hurt and were having difficulty obtaining coverage for their injuries in those companies. Legislature uh, directed a study and then created a task force. Uh, that task force met over 18 months, took testimony from many different groups, and ultimately um, what they did was provided the Workers' Compensation and Safety Division with four investigative positions, uh, increased the penalties to include stop work orders, debarment, uh, and penalties up to $100 a day for every day you didn't have insurance, and basically directed us to get out and enforce. Um, and so I think prior to that, the uh, Workers' Comp Division had one part-time investigator who also did some wage hour investigations and who um, basically only looked at claimant fraud issues. Uh, so it wasn't very much in the way of policing the uh, are you covered or not side. Mm -hmm. So uh, investigators were hired and we began to enforce. Now, we didn't just run out and immediately start slapping people. We conducted uh, a lengthy effort of starting in 2008 through 2010 and 11, trying to do education all around the state. I met with many different groups, manufacturers, home builders. <laughs> um, the unemployment insurance folks came with us. We tried to prevent all of this. And some of this also, I think, is a product of the fact that the economy had collapsed right. in many respects in 2008. Uh, and that was one of the reasons increasing complaints from legitimate companies that they were getting underbid come about. Mm -hmm. But we did attempt to provide an education effort on the law as it exists. Um, it's a very uh, difficult to interpret at times, uh, requires a very fact-specific inquiry, and, you know, that's what we do when we go out there. But essentially, um, if I could, if you want to know what the legislature told the Workers' Compensation Division, and this definition's been around a long time, but an employer includes any body of persons, corporate or unincorporated, public or private, and the legal representatives of a deceased employer, and includes the owner or lessee of premises or other person who, by reason of their being an independent contractor or for any other reason, is not the direct employer of the workers thereon. <laughs> so that's a broad definition. And as you can see, even if you hired someone as an independent contractor, you may still be considered their employer under mm -hmm. the language of that definition. So it's not a simple case, and it ends up requiring a very fact-specific inquiry. Was, were, the, were the rules changed, or is it the same language that's it's always the been there? the same language that's always been there. What I would say is that over time, and in fact, the first issue with an independent contractor under the Workers' Comp Act was decided by the Supreme Court in 1921. <laughs> um, so it's not a new issue in, in any respects. And in that case, a manufacturer of some sounding boards or something hired a contractor to deliver lumber to its facility. That contractor didn't have insurance. That contractor hired a driver to drive boards to the manufacturer. 
and the court ruled that the manufacturer was the employer of that driver when he was hurt in a crash. So, you know, that, that's how it extends. They, what they said was you're, by statute, the employer of this individual for workers' comp purposes. So it goes all the way back then. As you can see, it gets attenuated. Mm -hmm. It's very fact-specific. In these cases, the court, I would say, seems to have expanded because what they look at is what is the nature of your business, what's necessary to accomplish it, and you may be the statutory employer of anyone hired to further the nature of your business. Mm -hmm. Now, it's, it is a fact-specific. We look at each case and the manner they do business, but you can change the manner of how you do business overnight, and so that can affect the ultimate outcome. Were, were you aware and did you feel there was a lot of abuse out there? We knew that there was abuse. Um, I think our own study, when we'd been directed to do it in 2006, concluded that although data was difficult, it's hard to track people who don't register anywhere, mm -hmm. that uh, misclassification probably occurred uh, in 10 to 15 percent of the workplace. How much? 10 to 15. Okay. All right. uh, and that would be consistent with national numbers as well. Okay. Andy, can you talk about, the, you know, this sort of critical test between there's, there's these three, there's like a three-pronged test to determine whether or not somebody is an employee or an independent contractor. Uh, so what's the, talk, can you talk about what the critical components are? Um, actually, or, or like so I'm going to, I'm actually, I'm going to let Steve do that because okay. we actually have, UI has tests and then worker comp has tests. Let's, let's okay. do one. Right. Well, the, the three-part test is an unemployment insurance test, often called the ABC test. And they look at um, whether you exercise control over the person, the nature of your business, whether you perform work uh, completely outside of the employer's type of work or outside of any place that the employer does business, and the courts have interpreted that last piece very broadly. Uh, and, no, dropping the third. <laughs> supplying tools or something like that? Well, or is that so whether, you, whether you supply tools is part of the right to control. Right. That's, and the right to control is about, do you control the means and method of work? Do you tell someone when to come in, what to do, how to do it, when to go home? Uh, essentially, if you can fire them, then you have control. If okay. you had to pay them for a breach of contract, then not so much. Okay. So give me a couple of examples, if you could. Let's talk about, say, the I don't know, general contractors, the construction business. Where's the line there? What's an ex what would be acceptable for somebody to be an independent contractor? Well, again, I think you have to look at... Uh, whether you're talking about workers' compensation or unemployment, because there's two different definitions there. Um, you okay, well, before you go any further, what's the, di what's the different definition? You gave the one for workers' comp, sort of. What's the different definition for unemployment insurance? Well, unemployment, you, those three criteria, you have to meet all of them. That's that ABC test. And you had to meet all of those okay. for, for unemployment. They often result in the same determination, but... For example, unemployment only looks at individuals. So on the unemployment insurance side, if uh, a person or a group of persons formed a corporation or an LLC, 
by law, those are separate legal entities. They wouldn't be individuals. And if you work for that corporation or LLC, even if you're the only worker for that corporation or LLC, you won't be considered an employee for unemployment purposes. But on the workers' comp side, you may be, and this is a result of some recent court cases, you may nonetheless be considered an employee when you contract your services to a general contractor. And that, again, is a fact-specific question looking at everything from right to control to the nature of your work and how important is it to the completion of the general contractors, the contracting entity hiring you's business. So, okay. So if, for example, WDEV in the radio business hired someone to come in and fix their computers, we on the workers' comp side would say, your nature of your business, radio broadcasting, not computer consultant fixing, we're not going to cover you. But if you were a computer consultant who went out and fixed people's computers and hired another consultant to assist you, that person would be an employee in that situation. Okay. So, I mean, that's kind of the distinction is the way we do, but as you can see, it's fact-specific. Okay. If you have any comments or questions, you can join us on the program at 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. We've been talking to Steve Monahan. He's the uh, director of the Workers' Comp and Safety uh, Division of Labor and Industry. Annie Noonan is the commissioner. Again, our number is 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. You know, I had never heard before that sort of... Um, nature of the work question. I mean, you know, let me use an example that I'm aware of. Uh, I do uh, some, well, maybe you're going to be start auditing them. But, you know, I, I, I do uh, some TV stuff over at Vermont Public Television. They're not my employer. Ken Squire is my employer. They give me a 1099 every year. But I'm thinking to myself, the nature of the work is not radically different. Uh, what would be the deal with something like that? Well, and there again... In the workers' comp context, if you got hurt while working for the television station, yeah. uh, you, in theory, could file a claim against the television station, and their workers' comp insurance would have to cover you. And the insurance company would turn around and bill them extra premium because they hadn't declared you as an employee for workers' comp purposes. For tax purposes, you're perfectly fine as an independent contractor and getting a 1099. What That's mm. what confuses a lot of people because that tax definition, which looks at 20 different factors, is not the same or in some respects relevant to the question of are you an employee under this workers' comp definition because they're putting on a program at the television station you're part of that. That's part of their business. So for workers' comp purposes, yes, they would be your statutory employer. Mm -hmm. Now, point mm -hmm. of fact, a lot of these cases don't come up because people like yourself don't file claims. Right. They consider themselves independent and never bother to file a claim. Right. But for some folks, you know, they may initially have thought, maybe I'm independent, maybe I'm not. I need this job. They say I'm independent. Fine. Then when they're hurt, or when they become unemployed, when they're unemployed and they have to, they start, got to pay rent, got to take care of my kids, got to pay my medical bills. They file a claim, 
and that's when the factual inquiry starts. Does it make sense to either one of you that there's a different definition for tax purposes and a different definition for workers' comp? We have asked for years, <laughs> uh, you know, the legislature and recommended that the that it be clarified and should there be one definition, should there be one. Now, in point of fact, there is a rational basis for having definitions because the nature of, of why you're using this definition cover in workers comp you want to cover as many injured people as possible and frankly if they're hurt and workers compensation doesn't cover it chances are it means the taxpayers ultimately are going to cover it mm -hmm. they're going to get medical treatment you know nobody says you don't have insurance just push them to the side of the road and continue on they get medical treatment somebody has to pay for that they have to, someone has to support their families. If they're injured, they're going on to some form of public disability or something like that. So this is about apportioning who's responsible for that when that happens. And that's why the law and the workers' comp side interprets employer very broadly under the theory that if you got hurt at work, those providing you with the work should pay rather than society as a whole. Mm-hmm. But if I walk into the TV station, don't I know when I'm an independent contractor that I'm probably not going to be covered and that my health insurance covers me? Well, your health, one, I would say your health insurance doesn't replace your wages, doesn't provide you with long-term care, anything like that. You may know. And I, what I, frankly, that's what, what happens with a broad definition is there are different gradations. Well, you, you would know, you would probably say, I'm independent, I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. The person uh, who needs a job and is hired uh, is one of several sheetrockers and is told that he as an individual is a independent contractor, um, may or may not know. And two, it's highly unlikely that, you know, you can do a whole lot of sheetrocking by yourself with no help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's it's difficult it's hard work and on top of that someone generally wants you there at a specific time to do a specific amount and they have they're trying to coordinate it with all kinds of other trades so they're directing and controlling you mm -hmm. so uh not only is the chances of injury perhaps greater in one type of work than in broadcasting well, i don't know all the hazards of broadcasting um but the brutal uh, <laughs> But the uh, the nature of the work and the, and the knowledge of whether or not you are in fact independent will differ widely. Mm -hmm. Let's take some calls. Two four four seventeen seventy seven is our local number. Toll free eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. Jenny, you want to break before we go to the phones here? Okay, let's uh, take some calls here. We begin in uh, Williston. John, good morning. How are you? Not too bad. I have a couple of questions. How about taxi cabs? Um, I know some companies have 25 or 30 cabs, and they pay with a 1099. I know some that have two or three employees that pay with a 1099. And I know some of them people don't even file taxes. Is there any paperwork that goes to the federal government uh, from the employers that pay with a 1099? I'll hang up and listen. All right. Hmm. Well, the answer to the specific question is yes, a 1099 gets filed with the federal government. Um, that's 
again, a different question as to whether there's workers' compensation. I can tell you we have investigated a number of taxi companies and required them to cover all of their drivers. Uh, they've generally not been happy about that, but, but that is what the law appears to say. The nature of the business is you're providing people with transportation. You must cover them. Let's go to uh, Lindenville. Dennis, good morning. Uh, good morning, Mark. Uh, good morning, Commissioner, and good morning, Steve. Uh, I want to thank the uh, Department of Labor uh, for coming on today. Uh, this is uh, a very uh, long process, uh, trying to uh, get everything all straightened down. I find it ironic how uh, this year we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of Workers' Comp. Um, and uh, I just want to make a comment. Um, I have a, um, a friend who works for a construction company, and uh, he's always saying that it's very difficult to get some jobs in Vermont because of the level playing field. The company that he works for is, is a responsible contractor. They pay workers' comp. They pay UI and, 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 and all the other taxes. And when they go to bid, a lot of times they're bidding from contractors out of state that are kind of like low-balling, and it seems like they're always like 30% um, underbid because a lot of these contractors hire independent contractors, which they don't have to carry what they say. They don't carry workman's comp. And not only that, uh, they also don't pay into uh, Social Security, the uh, state and federal taxes. Uh, but I do have uh, just one question uh, that I just want to clarify, and I think that maybe Steve already alluded to this, was that if I'm an independent contractor, I have no insurance, and I go and work for a contractor, and I get hurt, and and I don't have workman's comp, then what happens to me as far as, um, you know, getting health care and getting uh, back wages, or, I'm sorry, replace wages? Thank you. All right. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, Steve, thank you, Dennis. Uh, the individual who is hurt while working for the general contractor can file a workers compensation claim uh, even if that in contractor doesn't have uh, workers compensation insurance the law says that the contractor will be personally liable and even things like forming a corporation or an LLC won't relieve that personal liability you're kidding me wow so so it is you know a, a big liability now, often the reason that general contractor may not have insurance is they may not have a lot of assets to pay the individual, the workers' compensation benefits and the medical bills. Uh, and in that case, uh, frankly, it ends up on, you know, things like our Medicaid or Medica Medicaid system primarily and the other types of health care systems, uh, and there isn't. But they do have the right to pursue that individual. Um, we've had cases where individuals have lost homes, second homes, boats, because they didn't fulfill their responsibility. And in order to pay the bills, the injured worker sued them and attached those things. Wow. Okay. That's a, I mean, that's a huge exposure. It is a very large exposure. And I think a lot of people who go naked thinking they can skirt under the wire don't recognize the uh, liability they may be taking on. 244-1777 is our local number, toll-free 877-291-8255. We've been talking with Annie Noonan and Steve Monahan. They're both with the Department of Labor. Let's go to Waterbury. Hi, Liz. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I was a consultant for many years, and I am wondering how this looks from the other side. I had a number of clients. I didn't expect 
them or want them to pay unemployment or workman's comp on me. I carried my own insurance and my, um, you know, my own uh, wage recovery insurance in case something happened to me for disability. So I just don't understand, um, you know, how you would expect to collect unemployment from my clients. I think that, you know, just makes no sense. And I'll listen to your answer off the air. Okay. Thank you. Well, part of the um, issue, some of the issues that generate the complaints to the Department of Labor are people who um, file unemployment or, or file a worker comp claim and then the, there's been nothing, um, uh, thinking that the folks they've been working for have been paying into the system for them. So um, um, you probably, I'm, I'm presuming, you know, you were set up as an independent em you, uh, employee and you had all of the coverage that you needed. So you walked into that with, with what we would say, you know, clearly established it, it, in your trade and marketing yourself, having your own business and putting yourself out, setting your own rates, determining what business you would or would not take. Um, that's, in essence, very, you know, the, the standards by which we look at to see if somebody uh, is dem able to demonstrate an independent co contractor status. A lot of people go in to... Uh, to situations where they're told they're an independent contractor. I'm hiring you. You're an independent contractor. I'm not covering you for workers' comp. I'm not covering you for um, unemployment. And the employee, you, you know, frankly, they need the work. They don't argue at the time, and then something happens. Um, you know, as Steve said, um, you know, someone's you get injured, and you're looking for the compensation either for the wage replacement or, the, or somebody to pick up those medical bills. So part of what, you know, workers' comp was established as an indemnity system to protect the um, not only the workforce but also the employer and unemployment basically says you know someone has to pay in for the, to the situation um, pay into the pay into the fund so that when people are laid off through no fault of their own that they have some reserve to fall back on as opposed to the public um, assistance programs so um, you know part of what we try to make sure that we do is educate and outreach to the employer community but it's also a worker issue and I think that some of what gets lost in this conversation is that um, you know, these laws are also on the books to protect individual Vermonters um, who, who may, in fact, be not being properly paid. And what we often find is that when when you look at an employer um, who's not covering people with workers' comp, sometimes they're not paying properly into the unemployment system, and often they're paying wages under the table. And then all of a sudden, somebody gets laid off, and they're looking at what's available to them for a safety net, and then there's no wages there for them. And think about it even long term. You're 62 years old, and all of those wages that you were paid under the table are not in your Social Security benefit. They're not They're not on record anywhere. And you're looking, and you're thinking, I've worked my whole life, and how come I have so little as, you know, Social Security benefit? So it's it's not just, you know, the from the worker perspective, but it's all the taxes that don't, don't get paid into the system properly. And Steve mentioned that, you know, how do complaints come to the Department of Labor generally as I said, from the worker who is calling us to tell us that they've either been injured or that they've been laid off, and the competitors, um, the um, the other businesses who say, I'm paying above above board, I'm doing all the things according to the law, and I'm getting underbid time and time again. And I just want to make one other comment that when uh, the previous caller, Dennis, mentioned something, you know, Vermont requires that people coming in from out of state to do business in Vermont to have a valid worker comp 
policy that's valid in the state of Vermont. So we try to make sure that somebody can't come in without workers' comp from a different state and underbid the Vermont contractors. So that is part of the Vermont law, that you have to have a valid worker comp policy here in Vermont. So, um, you know, we try to make sure that the playing field is level and that um, businesses are protected through these programs, but also that workers are protected. You know, I'm still just really puzzled here. What, what, you know, what changed? I, you know, this was not an issue 10 years ago. It was not an issue 15, 20 years ago. Where Are there more injuries? Is it the economy? What, what? Well, I think uh, the economy did have something to do with it. Uh, I also think the fact that we were provided with investigators and directed to go out and investigate uh, meant that we met more people who were not following the the law as written on the books. So, you know, the, that brought the issue up even further. But I do think it has been around for um, a long time, and certainly as long as I've been with the department, which goes back to 1987. Mm-hmm. But this question about these two definitions, one for tax purposes for a W-2 or a 1099, and then a different definition, it seems, as I'm hearing you say, for, for workers' comp and unemployment insurance. So if, if you know, we had calls last week, people were saying very heavy-handed approach by the Department of Labor going back years and years and years. They thought they were operating in good faith. I mean, you know, how can you not think people are operating in good faith when there are all these different definitions and the clarity is not really all that great? I think that's a fair fair statement. That's why we had recommended that rather than start out with the enforcement mode that we were directed to do, uh, that we do an education and uh, an attempt to clarify what was actually intended. Now, that wasn't what passed. Um, we did nonetheless try to do the education and outreach piece, um, but ultimately for a lot of folks, they're learning as they meet with our investigators, and uh, they're understandably not happy. Um, but again, as we said, we do try to take that into consideration, but we are given very little discretion, so we find, you know, you're not meeting this test, we are required, for example, to issue a stop work order. That's what the law says we have to do. We often say, you know, I'm going to go back to my office. I'm going to write this up. You can contact your insurance company if you have a policy in place before I get back here. Mm-hmm. You know, you can continue doing business. Um, many people are able to get a workers' comp policy within 24 hours. Some, it takes longer. Mm-hmm. All right. And one of the things that was said last by, by the group that you had in last week was about this federal grant, that we took a federal grant in to hire um, more investigators to do more enforcement. We actually did get a federal grant very recently, and the department um, is not using that to hire more people or to put more investigators in the field. We actually wrote the grant for education and information and outreach. That's the whole purpose of the federal grant that we took in. It was basically to make sure that we were talking to the business community and the worker community about the issue, making sure people knew what the, know, know what the law says. And in fact, um, that's the whole statement of work that we're working on with, with that federal grant money. So we didn't take that. I, I, your your um, group last week said, oh, we took that money in and applied for it so we can do even more enforcement. No, we do, took it in to do more public outreach because we're concerned about the fact that we don't want people getting caught up unknowingly. I mean, I think that there are people um, who 
clearly are, are scoff laws. Um, you know, we had a, a restaurant owner who who coded all of his wait staff as independent contractors and said, well, I don't tell them what to do on their off hours, so why they're not exclusively my employees. Well, you know, that's really just, you know, a ridiculous argument. So, but then again, you have situations where we find people who are compliant for years and all of a sudden somehow they fall off the radar. And um, it may be that they got bad advice from an accountant or a lawyer. You know, and often we find that it's because the spouse maybe has passed away and they were doing all the work and they understood the system better. So uh, we try to make, we try to really take a look at What's the profile of that business? What you know? What? How have they operated in Vermont for years? And we really try to make sure that we are looking long, long, long at the business history. And if they're a good employer in Vermont, they've followed the law. We really try to step back and say this: this looks like it was a mistake. And you know, I've given my staff down at you know, particularly in the UI division, um, some opportunities to um, uh, just you know, we we're very tight. Let me say this: we're very tightly controlled by the federal government on the unemployment side of the business. It's a tightly uh, controlled and prescribed system. So if somebody owes back UI tax, we can't waive the, what they owe into the system. But we can deal with penalties. Um, we, you know, they have to pay the tax, they have to pay the interest. That's what the federal government tells us. But we we're, we really try to make sure that the penalty um, uh, it really, we're looking at what that what happened. What who was the employer? What happened? And we're really, I think, we're very, very um, uh, considerate in terms of we try not to penalize people who just made a mistake and they're really not intentionally breaking the law. Wow! I mean, you went back. You heard the same program I did last week. That that is not what right. what I was hearing from people. Right. I heard from people that your department was being extremely heavy-handed, no flexibility. And, you know, asking for checks before you leave, all this kind of stuff. So you don't feel that you've been heavy-handed? I don't, I don't believe so. I think that we really try to tell, tell our staff, uh, look, at, look at the situation, bring it up to the supervisory and managerial level, uh, make sure that we are being fair and listening to what the person is saying. We waive many, many penalties um, uh, that would be, uh, you know, that we would ha could impose and don't impose because we really think that, it, you know, often... They're just not. They're just not. Um, they're, it's often a mistake, and they're not really trying to evade the law. If in fact we see somebody who is, you know, clearly, clearly operating, you know, intentionally under the law, you know, outside the law, and they're, they're um, doing it for years and years, you know, we're going to have a different, different opinion on on how we approach that employer. But for the most part, you know, we really try to make sure that um, we're we're fair. Even to the point that, you know, um, we have to establish rules through rulemaking, which is the formal proceeding uh, where we publish rules, we have public hearings, it goes to the uh, internal system in, in state government, ICAR, and then it goes to LCAR. And we've been very careful to make sure that all of our rules for this are going through the proper process so that we can engage the public and the stakeholders in the conversation about what we do with the Employment Security Board rules, what we do with the worker comp rules, what we do with all the rules that were, were required. Because people should, if we're going to have penalty penalty periods we have an opportunity they have an opportunity to appeal and all of that should be done through the pro formal process and mark i do want to i did hear someone say that we were asking for checks before we leave i don't believe that's ever happened if someone says it should happen they should write to me or call me and tell me when and where that happened because one the investigator 
really won't know what the penalty is going to be until they come back, the case is reviewed in our office with an attorney, and we apply the statute and determine what the penalty will be. We have, to my knowledge, none of, none of my people have ever requested that they show up, do an investigation, and request a check as they're going out the door. That simply doesn't happen. Let's go to Fairfax. John, good morning. Hi, Hi good morning. Uh, you know, one of the ways that general contractors have found out how to get around this is in the ski areas. Like up at Jay Peak, there was, at one point there were over 100 uh, Mexicans that didn't speak any English, but they're putting on drywall. And when we talked to them about it, they were all individual subcontractors submitting bills to the general contractor for the amount of square footage they put in, they install. And they were responsible for all their taxes and whatnot. Well, they all just send their money back to Mexico, so nothing makes out on that except for the workers and the general contractor who got cheap labor. But that happens in the ski areas all the time. And if you just drive through, you'll see the Homeland Security and INS vans all over the place. So that's one area that needs to be addressed. And it's just the remote areas. You don't see that in Burlington, but you sure do in the ski areas. Mm, okay. Anything you want to comment on that, Steve? I can say that we did receive a complaint. We did do a couple of extensive investigations up at Jay Peak. In those cases, the general contractors had workers' compensation insurance that covered those people. Uh, I can't comment on whether they were complying with other parts of the law or the immigration laws because we're not charged with investigating that. Let's go to Barrytown. Lee, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Mark, and good morning to your guests, although I missed their names and just caught the tail edge of this program. But right, I it's, um, Steve, it's uh, Steve Monahan and Annie Noonan. They're with the Department of Labor. Fine. Thank you, uh, Steve and Annie. Um, by way of background, I spent a long career in the business of insurance claims, recently retired, and during that long career had the pleasure of handling, investigating many workers' compensation claims and also liability insurance claims. And I think it's important to um, this discussion to understand the point and purpose of workers' comp, what used to be called workmen's compensation, was to uh, provide a remedy for injured workers. If, a, if an, a workplace injury arises out of and during the course of employment, that injury is by law uh, required to have workers' comp uh, benefits attached to it. Now, uh, a warning to employers. If you assume that your liability insurance will step in and pay uh, where you don't have workers' comp coverage, that's a... Um, that's a mistake, and it can result in uh, serious consequences for the employer because the standard liability insurance policy in Vermont and elsewhere excludes claims that arise from work-related injuries. So uh, simply having liability insurance is no guarantee that that policy will pay the injured worker for that injury if the indicia of employment is established, and uh, your guest Steve, I believe, talked about the ABC test, and there are uh, the courts have looked at a lot of those issues over the years, and it's fairly well understood that if there's continuity of uh, work, 
if the employer supplies materials uh, to accomplish the work, if the pay is by the hour, for example, rather than by the job, and those sorts of things, that is pushing heavily toward employment. So um, I, I do think folks listening to this discussion should uh, be aware that if you've got someone working for you and you tell them what to do and how to do it, and you supply them the materials of the job, and it's uh, ongoing, and you pay them by the hour, that sounds a lot like employment. And you better well have the proper coverage in place or you're going to face uh, uh, nasty consequences. Thank you so for that's your, my comment. Thank you for your call. Sure. Anything you want to add to that, Steve, or Annie? Well, Stop I, pointing I, at each other. One of the things, Mark, is that uh, when we put that work group together that came up with the bill that did go to the legislature, we actually had insurance representatives um, Part of it, we had uh, three different three different um, uh, stakeholders from the insurance industry who came to all those meetings. So they gave us a lot of good guidance um, about what the insurance industry's role in all of this would be. And some of what your caller just said, Lee just said, was um, is absolutely true. And they gave a lot of important direction to the to the work group about not not uh, you know what the insurance company could do and 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 you know what their role would be after the fact so it was very helpful uh, I think a lot of the uh, information that your caller just shared really did help form um, the direction that did lead to some compromise between the business and labor community because they realized that they were putting the the employers were, were at risk if they did not cover uh, have proper coverage so I think your caller was spot on did this grand bargain or this deal that you thought you had a couple of years back would would it have made this clearer for people? Well, yes, because it would have um, what it required people to do. It said to an independent contractor, "Come in, and um, there's a checklist that was developed between the business and labor community, that work group that said, if you can." show us all of these things and you're an independent contractor we're going to give you a piece of paper and when you go onto a work site that general contractor can hire you with some level of assurance that they're not going to get caught, caught up in an audit that day six months later or two years later that you will be able to say i had the i had the um, certification from the department of labor they i told them what my business model was i told them who i was and we were able to clear me as a true independent contractor and mm -hmm. therefore i'm on that job site and that and that general contractor didn't have to worry that would be registered that we we gave them the clearance so i think that it would have brought the level of confidence up for the general contractors to hire people as independent contractors knowing that we the department of labor have said yep they meet all the criteria we're confident and comfortable with that status on the job are the are the are the rules as written right now are they okay um okay so there are i think the statute statutory language definitely needs some review we've been willing as a department to work on that even this year we sat with um, a fair number of the legislators who put bills in and gave our best guidance on their bills um, sat with them together as a group sat with them individually and said you know here's where your 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 bill makes sense and here's where it doesn't make sense and here's some of the unintended consequences so we've been willing to give um, our best guidance on the issue to to the legislature I think there is definitely room for some clarity and for um, some continued work on this issue no question because it's not going away and that's really what our job as a department and administrative agency of government is is to make things clearer 
um, for the people who have to live under that law. And we want to promote economic development. We want to promote job growth and people going to work. So we want this to clear up, and we want this to be better better um, stated so that everybody operates within the law. It's easier for us if we're just basically answering questions and helping people be compliant than it is chasing people down who have broken the law. So we would really, we really do welcome continued conversation. We've always welcomed that. I mean, I think that um, the legislators who have worked with the, the department, whether it was under my predecessor or, or under this, this um, myself as a commissioner, I think will tell you that we've been very, very uh, uh, engaged in the issue and trying very hard to get this to make some sense for the business and labor community. What, in your view, is the reason why there hasn't been an agreement reached? Well, I think that both sides, um, both sides have stake stake in this issue, and I think that people have been very um, reticent to yield yield um, changes in the statute that they feel that it becomes a slippery slope. And so, what we have to do is, you have to get to a point where people um, feel that they've it's been enough compromise made that we that it makes the the uh, law clearer, but that nobody feels as though that they were that they have some somehow lost some important uh, ground on the issue, and that's really that has not been easy to accomplish, right? With with the way that Title Twenty One is written. Let's go to uh, North Hero Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about my nephew who was working for a company locally and lost his job last Monday uh, late at the end of the day. And he was told it had absolutely nothing to do with his performance, that they liked having him there, he was a good asset and all that, gave him a good letter of recommendation, and during their discussion it came out that the human resources a lady needs to hire her daughter who graduated from college on Saturday. Is that a legal thing to do? Well, most employment in the state of Vermont is considered at-will employment, and unless you're covered by a, a written contract or a collective bargaining agreement, um, or unless you were being dismissed for a reason which is prohibited by law, such as you know a discriminatory reason, a factor prohibited by law, then in fact, um, at-will employment means that they can let you go. Now, um, in that situation, your nephew um, should in fact contact the department of labor should be filing an unemployment claim he was you know i can't speak to the specifics but if in fact the pattern that the fact pattern that you laid out says you know they said you're doing a good job we just don't choose to keep you employed um that that your nephew should be eligible for unemployment and reemployment assistance through the vermont department of labor um and unfortunately for him um you know it's probably uh, the, the employer can do what they've what they've done again with very limited circumstances you know including discriminatory factors which are not allowed you know which would would impact this if they were if he was dismissed for for a factor prohibited by law but other than that it's at will employment in vermont and so have him contact the best thing he can do is to go to his local department of labor office we have 12 regional offices around the state register right away and say you know i need help getting getting reemployed there are lots of great opportunities right now in vermont we've got tremendous amount of federal money um, for dislocated worker. By the way, your nephew would be considered a dislocated worker under the law. That means you were laid off through no fault of your own. And that um, uh, your nephew would be eligible for assistance from the Department of Labor, maybe even job retraining. So have him come to the local office, but get there. So there's two things. One is to file the claim that gets done um, through online on telephone. 
and but stop into the most wherever the closest office is and say I need help getting a job because there are lots of good job counselors with the Vermont Department of Labor. Back on this question, we've been talking about you know there's from what I heard Friday, there's going to be no resolution of this in this year's legislative session. So basically, you've got you're going to have another eight months or so where there's no clarity. I can't imagine that's a position you want to be in. Well, I think one of the things that we're going to do with the Department of Labor, you know, Steve and I, as we drove over here today, I kind of chuckled because at one point when Senator Galbraith was in the State House, he said to Steve and I one day, uh, why don't you just forget about what the statute says and why don't you forget about what the stakeholders want? Why don't you just come up with what you think the law should be and put that out there? So, you know, we've certainly never well that's one approach that is one approach <laughs> so we've really never taken up taken up that um uh that challenge but we do think that it you know we have an opportunity to try to help uh again try to help formulate uh what might make sense in terms of title 21 in the law um take a look again at at where the there are problems and um, I think our you know really and just look internally at at our own system to make sure that things don't lag for periods of you know 17 months we don't want that either I mean part of our challenge has been um, in in our system particularly in our worker comp system um, our Steve's staff we've had some very very serious illnesses you know like life-threatening illnesses of some of our staff who've been out for long periods of time um, you know we've we've been a little bit understaffed in that regard and I'm not asking for new staff we've got to make do with what we have but I think what will this gives us an opportunity if, you know we'd have to you know we'd have to have real deaf ears if we haven't heard the fact that people are unhappy and I think that we want to basically take every single case that's pending put it on my desk sit with a work group try to move these things forward and make sure that we've got things you know the process and the procedures and the work rules all in place so that this this thing moves quickly and in some ways really uh, take a close look at the at the Vermont Supreme Court decisions and say you know are we are we fully interpreting them correctly because we can't change title 21 on our own but we can take a look at our own internal processes and i think that that's an important piece of what people are concerned about and i will say this and steve i think would back me up 100% one of the things i've always said is you know um, when people call the department of labor or when we're out in the field we should always make people under feel very comfortable with talking to us we, we need to listen to people we need to treat people professionally and respectfully. If that isn't happening, you know, um, I'm very, very um, serious about picking up the phone and calling. If I get a complaint, if you were to call me today and say I was somebody, I spoke to so and so in your office and they were rude, the next thing that's going to happen is I'm going to be on the phone with that employee and saying I just got a call from Mark Johnson, and what is going on? I mean, people get invited to my office at the hint that they're not being professional or polite to people. People know that that's important in, in our department. I don't want anybody to ever be afraid of the Department of Labor or of, of their government. And if that's what's happening, you know, that's state government has to be there. You know, my view is that we're there to, as public servants to serve the people of Vermont. Well, you heard, I mean, you heard that in that show last week. I, I mean, people felt very intimidated, right. like they had to cut a deal right. with you guys because right. they couldn't afford an attorney. Yeah. I mean, some, what, right. uh, let me hold on a second here. What seemed to be some really, yeah. really strong arm yeah. so techniques. We're gonna, so, so I've reached out um, to, to those folks, and I know Maureen and I know Bob, and I've reached out uh, in the past. Actually, I had asked Bob at one point if he wanted earlier than this, is if he wanted to come in and sit down and talk to me. Cause, and, you know, so we will reach out again. Maureen and I have been back and forth on email. We're going to sit down, and because and, that's not acceptable to me either. I don't want people ever to be afraid of, 
of the Vermont Department of Labor or of state government, because I think, you know, uh, my boss, Peter Shumlin, is very much, uh, you know, uh, supportive of us doing our job in a way that makes, that embraces Vermonters as individual people and, and promoting good business in Vermont, and promoting good workplace safety. And so, um, you know, I try to reflect what my boss uh, wants to do and my personal uh, approach has always been to be polite and respectful to people, even when I'm a strong advocate, which I have been my whole life. But I really want people to know that the Department of Labor, if that kind of behavior is occurring, I want to hear about it. Steve wants to hear about it. Uh, Tracy wants to hear about it over at UI. We're all in this together, and we don't ever want people to feel that they were treated improperly. So I urge them to call me. And I have a, I'm one of those commissioners who answers my own phone, and you can call me directly. And my number's right on, right on my website, which you won't necessarily see with everybody else, but my number is 828-4301, and I always tell people, email me or call me. Uh, although I get 400 emails a day, it's Roger will help me sort through those things, and we'll try to get back to you as soon as we can. Thank you both for coming in. Steve, is there anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I just echo what Annie said. We do try to be pro professional. Um, I don't think we strong-arm people. Uh, now, some people feel they've been strong-armed when we say, well, here's what the statute says. Here's what the statute says the penalty should be. We are willing to negotiate over that penalty amount, but you're going to have to comply. I don't think that's strong-arming, but some people have taken that differently. Thank you both for coming in. Steve Monahan is uh, with the uh, Department of Labor, and Annie Noonan is the commissioner. Um, thank you for all your calls. I appreciate that. We're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll be back right after these important announcements. This is FM 96.1 WDEV Warren, AM 550 WDEV Waterbury Montpelier, and we'll be back after this. Ruben and his team from RB Technologies on Route 14 in East Montpelier has been creating and supporting thoughtfully designed, custom-crafted computer networks for their clients since 1997. Here's Marsha Curtis from Capital Steel. He's our IT specialist. We go to him for everything that we need for the computer systems, our security systems, our perception monitoring. If we've got a question about our email, a computer, Windows, any kind of situation that we run into, we run to Ruben. Oh, his customer service is...